Good morning, everyone. This is Allison Scobber, Consolidated Planning Group. We are here with the Down Syndrome Association today, Attorney Mike Day and Marianne Hughes. And so um, the topic that we are talking about today uh, is divorce and special needs. Um, and so I just wanted to start out um, by introducing myself. If you're, um, if you're new to us, Consolidated Planning Group is a holistic special needs financial planning firm. Uh, we do webinars all the time on topics surrounding planning for special needs, everything that you can imagine from special needs trust and guardianship, SSI, Medicaid, and just a kind of a litany of other topics. Um, but today, uh, this is a topic that we really only do um, a few times a year. So you're here for a reason, and you're here probably because you're probably at a point at a crossroads in a stressful time in your life. And I know from my perspective and from Mary Ann's perspective, um, we can tell you that sometimes when you think that you're in a, a in a tunnel and that you can't see the light of day, the smoke does clear, and it does get better. Um, but having a plan and working your plan and kind of learning some of the things that we're going to go over with you today is going to be important in your journey. Um, from, from a special needs planning perspective, we are nationally certified as social security advisors and members of the special needs planning Academy. And when it comes to, uh, divorce and planning for special needs, there are a few key things that I always like to, you know, advise our clients that it's really, really important in your considerations. Um, first things first that I like to talk about, uh, I think that the topic of, of child support, whether or not child support is going to continue post age 18 for your special needs loved one is an important topic to address. And I know Mike's going to talk some about that. Um, another thing that we like to talk about is where that child support is going. Um, a lot of our kids don't qualify for SSI and Medicaid as minors because as parents, we just make too much money. Um, but when they turn 18, it's based off of their assets and income, not ours. So where that child support goes really, really matters. And I know that Mike is going to mention that as well. So that's a topic that we like to remind people of. And then the last thing that we like to remind people of is that it is important to have the discussion of life insurance on both parents uh, to basically fund a special needs trust for your loved one in the future. Um, whoever the parent is that ends up paying child support, if something happens to that parent and they pass away, that child support ends, you know, that's all there is to it. So that funding um, for your loved one and their future care is really, really important. And life insurance is a big consideration in that. So for today, let's talk about some housekeeping items really quick. Um, we are in webinar mode, so um, we can't see you or hear you, but we do know you're there and we are glad you're here and you're in the right place. Um, we do um, want to take as many questions as possible today. Um, so if you have questions throughout the presentation, I'm going to be monitoring the chat box and I will read those out uh, to both Marianne and, and, and Mike. So you can just put those in the chat box. Um, today's webinar is being recorded and everybody who registered is gonna get a copy of today's slides. So you don't have to write everything down feverishly to, to, to make sure you get it all down. You are gonna get a copy of today's slides as well. So um, we're excited to have Marianne Hughes with us today. 
Um, she is a coach um, when it comes to divorce, and um, she's kind of the boss on this. She's really, really good um, at what she does. She's got a lot of skills. So, um, Marianne, um, welcome. Thank you for being here. Mike uh, is an attorney and works um, with uh, special needs divorce. Um, and one thing I want to mention is, you know, our families – special needs families. We have connections with attorneys. We may have worked with an attorney in the past for a special needs trust or for a guardianship, and those are different attorneys. Um, those attorneys typically don't do divorce, and d the divorce attorneys don't typically do the special needs side of the house. Um, so Mike's going to talk a little bit about that today. So you guys are in for a treat. We're going um, from 11 uh, to 12. We will be done by 12 if you're planning um kids and activities for today. So Marianne, um, thank you for being with us. Tell us a little bit about you. Thank you so much, Allison. Pleasure to be here and to share my story and my advice to all of you to get through a divorce involving children with any kind of disability. It can be very challenging, but know that it is possible to get through it and get through it well with the right supports and people in place. And so um, I'm a certified divorce coach, my company Special Family Transitions, and please reach out if I can help you um, anytime. So if you're, if you're in this session, you're probably you're thinking about divorce or facing it, and um, it can be a crazy, overwhelming time, but know that, that uh, with the right approach, you can get a good result for your family. Okay. And so just a little bit about me. I'm a mom of two boys in the autism spectrum. And this is a picture of me taken with them when I was newly separated. And so know that um, maybe challenging to go through, but there is light at the end of the tunnel, as Allison mentioned. And so when I faced divorce, I spent a lot of time, money, and energy trying to figure out how to get through the process and how to get a good result for my family. And I'd like to say that I did get there but it was a long, hard road, spent a lot of money, which I don't want anybody else to have to do. So I decided to help others navigate the overwhelming complexities of divorce by sharing my knowledge and helping them through their process as well. And so I'm here to I provide, so I started my company, I guess after my, after my divorce, so I could help with divorce coaching, consulting, and support. I, uh, was excited to participate in a, it's called Lone Star Lend and a program you have heard about. And if um, it's one I recommend uh, participating in if you have the opportunity to, but it, it taught me a lot of things and there was a service learning project and I chose to do one on supporting neurodiverse kids in divorce. So with a team, we got some um, the top psychologists in town to participate. And so there's webinars you can find on YouTube at Lend Divorce Project to kind of give you some ideas as to how to support your kids through the process as well. Because as a parent, it's hard enough, but for the kids, we have to know how to support them so that they're in a good place through the process and beyond as well. And so as a life coach, divorce specialist and coach, I'm here to help you. And one way I do that as well, for those maybe who can't work directly with me, is I just launched my first digital course. I'm excited about kind of condensing my knowledge into one hour session. And so uh, you know, please reach out to me if I can help you in any of those areas. And so trying to figure out how to condense all my knowledge into one hour into a framework that would um, help support people no matter where they are in the process is I came up with uh, a system called RISE. 
And so what I've done is each letter in RISE represents different things that you should do and can do as part of your divorce process to get the best result for yourself and for your family. And so I'll go through each one of those um, aspects. So the first R is for recognize and resolve. A lot of times when we first are faced with divorce, we just, you know, feel like a, you got hit by a ton of bricks. And so part of it is getting in the right mindset to approach your divorce. Sometimes we're just so overwhelmed by emotion that we're not thinking clearly. And so recognize that we're in a situation that's very new and very different and can be very scary. And so what I realized going through it is that you're actually part of the, in the grief cycle. You may have heard of that in different contexts, but that basically comes into play anytime you're with a situation of loss or grief or change, whether it's someone dying, a new job, whatever it may be, and divorce is a big change and loss um, and big change you know, happening in your life, that you've got to, you go through different cycles and different phases. And so just recognizing that it's okay to be in denial, anger, bargaining, depression, but really we make the most progress when we finally get to acceptance and can find our way forward to get through the divorce and life beyond that. And so you got to resolve. Oh, go ahead. Marianne, I, I just wanted to say, you know, in these stages of grief, um, one thing that we know is that we, we really don't make a recommendation to make major, major financial decisions, unless, of course, you have to as a result of like, you know, big, big decisions to purchase something or things like that, or um, because a lot of times when you're in those stages of grief and you make those decisions, um, they usually end up being the wrong ones or ones that you regret um, later. So we really do, um, you know, have suggesting that you just take time and real, really, really consider kind of where you are and, and knowing that if you put off that big financial decision six months or a year, it's probably not going to be the end of the world, but you may regret it. So we do like to talk about that. Wonderful. That's great advice. And so, yeah, you just go out there and resolve to get the best outcome you can and to meet your goals for divorce. And so I is for identify and investigate. And this is where people like Allison come in to help you identify what you have and what you need financially in terms of your assets and what you need to do in the future to address your child's current and future needs and trying to figure out what those are. So you've got to investigate services or programs your child may need in the short and long term. If your child is young, maybe you haven't even started thinking about this, but this is a time to at least figure out what you're dealing with now, maybe the current therapies that they do have and need or will need in the short term, as well as things that you um, can envision for when they maybe age out of school. And it's hard, like I said, to get to think in those terms, but you know, um, Allison can definitely help in that area as well as other people who can help you kind of think in terms of a life care plan. So this is not like a one and done, get divorced, but the assets kind of situation with a special needs child, you've got to think in the long term and how to um, agree to things on your divorce, whether it's child support, whether it's how you're going to continue to support the children in a way that makes sense for what your family's needs are. This is where um, future care cost estimates come in uh, to play as well. And you mentioned therapy and things like that. 
uh, the needs of the child. Some of our kids um, stay in high school, you know, past age 18. There might be a transition program, various day programs or things like that, that, um, you know, maybe there's attendance services and things like that. This is where those future care cost estimates um, come into play when we're, we're looking at the whole big picture. And then S is for uh, self-care support, securing your team, and special needs. And so as special needs parent, we often put our needs last, but this is not the time to do that. You've got to take care of yourself. As they say, you can't pour for an empty cup. So if you're there in the best um, condition you can be, considering everything going on, to be able to think clearly and make better decisions in your divorce, be there for your kids, support them, um, then everyone's much better off. And so you can't do this alone. So speak, seek support if you can from those that have either been through it or there to support you, family, friends, professionals, and different groups like um, you know, the one you're in now um, may have some resources to help you as well. And then find professionals who can understand the special needs considerations and help you advocate and also protect your child's needs. There's a lot of people out there who um, maybe are professionals but don't have special needs experience. And this is not the time to um, you, want, you want to get it right, I guess, the, going, going into this. This is your one shot to uh, on the front end, make sure you find the right people and do the right things in your divorce. And Michael will talk about this later to make sure that the decree is set up in such a way that you're protecting yourself and your children for the future. And so you can always come back later, but that's going to cost more time and money and stress in the future. So definitely find people, whether it's family law professionals, special needs financial planners, divorce coaches, whatever it might be that have uh, understanding of the special needs and what needs to go into that. I think it's important to note that all attorneys are not created equally. They all go to law school and they pass the bar and things like that, but they're, they are not all created equally. And I am kind of liken this to our situation is specialized. So just like if you had a heart condition, you're not going to go to your PCP. Um, you're not going to go to the podiatrist. You're going to go see a cardiologist. You really, if, when, if you're going through this or you find yourself, maybe you might go through this. Um, you really do want to consult an attorney that does have um, background and understanding of special needs and kind of what happens in divorce with special needs and what, you know, what should happen. Um, so I always like to talk about this here. What if you've already hired an attorney and you've already dropped a huge amount of money for a retainer because it's a lot of money, right? Um, it's not ball it all up, throw it away, fire your attorney. That is not what we're um, suggesting. But there are people that you can pull onto your team. So you hired your attorney because you liked your attorney. And maybe your attorney doesn't have any background in special needs. But there is truly a way that you can connect with people like Mike are other professionals that are nuanced and special needs, and they can come in from a consulting perspective. So we do like to mention that because that kind of comes up sometimes in the in the event that you've already hired an attorney. Um, and and you know, Mike and I were talking about this a little bit earlier. We think that it's best, um, and it doesn't always work this way. So having said that, we do think it's best to get things right on the front end. Okay, um, get things set up right on, on the front end in the decree, the child support, all those types of things, 
because going back to the judge later is costly. Everybody has to hire an attorney again. It takes time. There's emotions involved um, with that. And so there may be some people on here that have gone through a divorce and and it wasn't set up right. And now you're here because you want to learn more or whatever. Um, All is not lost. It It can be fixed. It's just easier to get it um, right on the front. And don't you agree with that, Mike? Talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, I I absolutely agree with that. I mean, there are a lot of nuances to these cases, both on a child support perspective, but also in other respects. I mean, um, a lot of people don't realize that the adult disabled child statute also uh, governs possession and access for after the child is 18, which is highly unusual in Texas family law. And so it's very important to remember that it's not just about child support, but it's also about possession and access. And I I can't speak for all jurisdictions in Texas, but I I can speak to Harris County in particular that, you know, if you're in, if you have a guardianship, that's going to be in probate court. Well, those judges, they're wonderful judges, um, but they don't like to really, if they can avoid it, they don't really want to get involved in family law matters in the context of a guardianship. They really want the family courts to resolve things like child support and possession and access. And and potentially, and I don't want to get too much into the weeds, but there are potentially other issues that could come into play as well. And the other thing I'll say is that um, Allison's absolutely right. You need to get a a legal professional who's knowledgeable about uh, children with special needs and the legal nuances there. But it's not just, that's not true just on the family law side, because what folks like I do is I want to get an estate planning attorney that is highly knowledgeable about preparing a special needs trust, okay? Because for example, child support, it's got to go into a very specialized type of trust called a first party Medicaid payback trust. Uh, that that I would I would be reluctant to let just a run of the mill estate planning attorney draft one of those. I would be reluctant to say, oh yeah, uh, uh, this is a state planning attorney is board certified in state planning. I wouldn't even do that. I mean, in a, in a place as big and diverse as Houston, there may be like a dozen lawyers who I would feel comfortable uh, drafting a special needs trust. And then if you are somewhere outside of a major city, I would be very much inclined to really invest because you don't have to hire an estate planning lawyer from your particular town or, or what have you, you can, you can get somebody from somewhere else. There are great lawyers in Dallas, great lawyers in Austin, great lawyers in San Antonio, but don't feel like you have to use somebody local on the estate planning side. And if your family law attorney, they just, and they just have to be mindful of the estate planning considerations. They really do. They have to work backwards from that. Mike, um, we um, make referrals all across the state of Texas um, for estate planning attorneys that are nuanced and special needs. And and like you, we say, hey, you know, again, this is specialized. So you want to work with an attorney that is specialized in this. We have actually seen documents that were drafted that failed to qualify as a special needs trust in the eyes of the Social Security Administration because your neighbor next door, the real estate attorney, did it for you for free or your brother Mm -hmm. or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. And so, in, in fact, um, we have, you know, uh, a lot of attorney clients, they're very, very smart, but we've referred them to estate planning special needs attorneys because they have a special needs, you know, child. So I think that that is really, really an important consideration. But you mentioned something, Mike, before we go back to Marianne, um, about guardianship. And I just was curious about that because, you know, some families do know 
they definitively have a child that is going to require guardianship. A lot of families don't know they're hopeful and optimistic, but their child might not be there yet at 18 and is kind of on the fence on whether or not a guardianship, a full guardianship is going to be needed. Um, is there language that can be put into a divorce decree on an agreement that the guardianship will be set up in the future or that, you know, the parties agree to a guardianship in the future or some, is there, is, is, does anybody do anything like that? Or is that something that can be done if, uh, if that's the case for this child? So a couple of thoughts. First is that if you have a child who's going to be considered an adult disabled child under the child support statute, and we can get into the specifics of that, but generally speaking, that's a child who's uh, incapable of self-support because of a disability um, that was known prior to the child turning 18. Um, a lot of times that will naturally feed into the guardianship proceeding. Um, it is rare to put in language in the divorce decree about the guardianship per se, I would say as a general proposition, you might be able to, is it binding on the probate court? Probably not, but does it give you a little bit of insurance? Yeah, maybe. And I've had cases in the past involving children with special needs where you actually have parallel litigation going on in the probate court and in the family court. And sometimes you need something to happen in the family court to where it may not be binding per se on the probate court, but it will telegraph to them something that's very important. For example, I was working on a case. Um, there was an adult disabled child. Uh, the father didn't want to pay child support anymore. And he did some things that were just really wrong. And I'll just leave it at that. But there was ultimately a finding for attorney's fees made against him to where he had to pay the attorney's fees um, into the obligee's trust, right? And so but the reason, and the other side was like, look, look, you know, uncle, we give up. We're, we just, we'll non-suit it. Just leave us alone. Why are you asking for attorney's fees? Well, the reason why getting attorney's fees in that case was so important is because that father was going to try to pull something in probate court because he was not successful in family court. And so it's one thing if the probate judge says, oh, well, father dismissed it. Okay, fine. As opposed to the court and the family court judge making these findings that dad did something wrong and had to pay attorney's fees, well, that's going to send a completely different message to the probate court. And so when you have parallel litigation, you should always be mindful of the fact that you're going to have multiple audiences. Um, one thing, Mike, um, that you just said, and, 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 you know, this is something that is, um, you know, all, you know, all as far as love in love and divorce, but um, uh, when, you know, there's child custody involved, whether it's special needs or not, uh, emotions run high and there's no right or wrong party as far as mom or dad or who's better or whatever. Um, but one of the things that I think I, I just, I do want to mention is that judges are pretty hip to false accusations that are involving CPS. <laughs> um, that, that is like an old trick in the book as far as child custody is concerned. And it doesn't ever go well for the person that makes those false accusations. Not that anybody is planning on doing that. And maybe you've had false accusations made against you. Um, those are, you know, all things that could happen uh, in, in the divorce, but it just kind of makes the whole situation that's already difficult a little bit worse. So for sure. So yeah. Marianne, tell us about your S. Yeah, so the last S is special needs considerations, but I think Mike's going to talk about uh, most of these and some of these we've already talked about slightly, so I'm going to skip over this slide for now. But feel free to put in the chat if there's anything else you want to talk about specifically. 
let me get through all this. So once again, these are things that are financially, legally related, but know that there's ways, different things to consider and different ways to structure so that uh, your needs and the child's needs can be met. One thing on here, uh, Marianne, I want to comment on. So, and we mentioned this earlier, and I know Mike's going to talk more about it, that, you know, it's real, real important that child support is redirected for the special needs child that is going to basically qualify for SSI and Medicaid in the future if child support is continuing post age 18 for that child support to go into a first party special needs trust. Um, on your on the screen here, we have an ABLE account 529A, um, and that is for an individual with a disability whose disability started prior to age 26. We have entire webinars on 529A accounts. But I just wanted to bring that up because I have recently been asked several times in the last month, somebody is putting out bad information that you can have child support directed to a 529A ABLE, and that is not true. And so I want to dispel that myth. If you get child support, you could go and put it into a 529 later if you want to, that's fine. But child support does not get directed to a 529 ABLE and, um, and child support that is received and then put in a 529 ABLE is still going to be counted as income for SSI purposes. So the only way for child support not to count against the child for um, SSI and Medicaid purposes is that it is redirected to a first party special needs trust. So I wanted to just kind of quash that myth because it is a big myth and it is going around a lot lately. So I just wanted to make that clear. Those are all great points. And this is why it's so important to work with someone like Allison, like Mike, and people who really understand all the nuances, intricacies of what needs to happen in a special needs divorce during and after. Yeah, I just want to just want to add one one thought to that. Um, Allison's absolutely right about that. But it's not just about child support, right? Because it can, I mean, to a certain extent, divorce or even post-divorce management of child support is estate planning by other means, right? And so one of the reasons why you would want to get a really good estate planning attorney involved is because you might have multiple trusts, right? You might have a trust that receives the child support, but you might have um, another trust set up. And maybe you have you know, a child who has special needs and then you have a child who, who has different needs, but, but maybe they're not special needs or it's all to a different extent or different situation, what have you. And maybe you don't want everything going to the federal government, right? And, and so there's that consideration as well um, because, and we'll get to this later, but the law gives people the ability to be more creative than, than maybe they could have been five years ago. Great points. So my last E is how you express yourself, execute what you have to do and embrace the change. So as Allison mentioned, uh, emotions run very high. And so we wanna be careful though, that the way we express ourselves um, is not run by our emotion, but more by our logic logical side. And so that's why as a, as a coach, that's what I help you do is get from the emotion to the business of divorce in a hopefully more logical um, fashion. And so there's a uh, system of communicating called BIF, in case you've heard of that, uh, which stands for brief, informative, friendly, and firm. And so you want to try to express yourself in that way uh, throughout your legal process, not just to your 
attorneys and people you work with, but also with your soon-to-be ex-spouse. And this also applies after the divorce as well as your co-parenting. So um, that way, just focus on the kids and what you need to do for the business at hand, as opposed to focusing on the past, the hurts, and just try to, as much as you can through this process, take that out of it or else you'll find it's going to um, spiral if you you know, just focus on the emotion and trying to get revenge or whatever your motives might be. So just focus on getting the best result for you and for your kids and treat it kind of like a, you would like a business deal, even though it sounds a little bit harsh and cold to say, but in, in, in the end of, end of the day, the divorce is a legal and financial transaction. And that's what we've got to deal with. And all the motions, that's what other people can help you with, coaches, therapists, and so on. And then uh, when just, uh, uh, they oh, go sorry. unchecked, those those emotions, when they're going unchecked, what it equates to you is dollars and cents out of your pocket. It's more expensive. It's good for attorneys. No offense, Mike. Uh, it's okay. good for attorneys. The more you fight, the more you argue, the more you don't get along. Some people don't have a choice. Some people's situations are are really, really bad. And they're, you know, there there is no choice. And I, I, I recognize this. But at the end of the day, if we can focus on our kids and what matters the most and the best interest of our kids, because that's what the judge's focus is, is the best interest of your kid. Um, that is going to, to be the best. And it's going to keep your expenses lower, which you can spend more on their college or other things. Um, you know, you can spend as much as you want in attorney fees and going to court and having hearings and all of these other things. But at the end of the day, the law is the law. And if you can come to some sort of good arrangement um, without, you know, with avoiding those big hearings and things like that, it's, it's going to be much better financially uh, in the in the long run. Mike, um, what 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 would you like to say about that? Well, I would just say um, that that is absolutely true. Um, I had a client who was going through a divorce once, and she, it was a very amicable divorce. Um, in some respects, but in some respects, it absolutely was not. But she shared with me some knowledge that she had gleaned elsewhere that I thought was really, really good. And I've kind of shared with other folks, which is that be nice about everything but the money, <laughs> you know, because it, that's exactly right. And when you're sending these text messages, um, just be mindful of the fact that, again, multiple audiences, it's not just your spouse or soon to be ex-spouse. It's also a judge. It's also a jury. It's also the other side's lawyer, you know, mediator. I mean, all these folks who could have an, a real impact on your future and don't, you know, don't, uh, don't shoot yourself in the foot, right? Um, just be mindful of the fact that if you're going to send something that maybe you shouldn't have, or maybe you should have slept on it, right? That, that other audiences will see that. And I was also, um, I was trying to find it, but I'll, I'll, I'll maybe we'll figure out a way to get it up to, to any audience member. But I read an excellent book by this um, Canadian psychotherapist who's very prominent in the Canadian family law world. And he talks about how when people are going through a divorce and they're very upset, a lot of things are happening at the same time. But one of the things that's happening is that someone is potentially going through a massive disillusionment right? Like something just didn't work out. And a lot of times that that will dovetail with disillusionment that had happened in some other arena of that person's life. 
So it might've been their upbringing, their parents went through a divorce. And the only way to really kind of address that is to really know about it, right? And, and a lot of times what this psychotherapist saw and what I've seen in my practice from time to time is that there is some sort of disillusionment that's going on that people cannot process. And cortisol brain is very real. You take something that's inherently very stressful, and then you have this background noise that's going on in your head, and you may not even know that it's there, right? Um, I was watching a really great uh, Brene Brown podcast the other day, and she's talking about, well, people don't want to get in, you know, open up Pandora's box. Well, guess what? Whether or not you want to open it or not, you're already there. And that's especially true in a divorce. And so I just wanted to, to pass that sort of tidbit on. And then, so commenting on what you said earlier, the long and the short of it, summing that up is anything you um, say and do on social media or text message or email or Facebook can and will be used against you in court if you're going in front of a judge. So just be mindful of that before you press go on anything like that. Those are things that, I mean, we hope that it doesn't come to that in your situation, but it's just really important. Don't say or do anything that you don't want um, in front of a whole courtroom. That's right. For sure. Go back. Can we go back a step here? Yes. Is it showing on your end, Marianne? Yeah, I see it now. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, all this can be sound overwhelming and it's a lot to process, but just break it down one step at a time. You'll get through it and engage people who can help to get you there. And like we said, you know, it's, um, there's a lot going on. There's a lot to consider. There's all different aspects. Divorce is hard enough anyway, um, but no, you'll get through this. And so the last E I want to touch upon is that divorce um, can be scary. It can, um, it's not something maybe you anticipated or wanted, but, but know that once you go through it, it takes a while to you know, process part of the grief cycle and everything else, but just embrace the wonderful opportunities that will await you once this is complete. They say it takes three years to fully um, get past the divorce and everything that, um, that will happen to you as a result of that. But know that the future is bright. There's so much there for you and for your children. And look at this not as an end, but as a new beginning. I mean, look at me. You know, I was a um, stay-at-home mom for over 20 years taking care of my kids. And so through this experience, I've grown and developed and now have my own business for the first time. And I'm making an impact to the community. So know that this is a star for something that can be positive in your life. So don't look at it as, um, you know, like Mike mentioned, you know, it's about everything except the money. There's, um, there's a lot to consider, um, but, but, but know what you stand for and take, you know, all the information you get from all your planners, all your help to state your case about this is the money that, you know, where you want to make a decision and everything else related to that, whether it's possession, whether it's other things in the divorce, there's so many different aspects, but know that, you know, balance everything so that in the end, it's going to work out for you and for your child. And some of that balance, Marianne, comes to what's it worth 
too. Cause you know, you mentioned, and I know, you know, from my perspective that, you know, things can be drawn out for three years. And if you're just starting this journey and you hear that, you're like, Oh my gosh, I'm, I'm getting off this webinar right now. Um, because you can't even imagine this being in that a three year of, of whirlwind. The, the, the more fighting, the longer it takes, the less fighting, the shorter it takes, the less fighting, the, the cheaper it is. And so some of the things I, I think it's, it's kind of balancing and thinking about just like when you were saying kind of evaluating and those types of things, what is it worth to you? What is it worth? And so if, if, you know, all of the fighting and antics goes on and it drags it on three years and that's three years of stress instead of one year, <laughs> you know, like, you know, some of those things that you, you know, you just have to find balance in that and nobody can tell you what the right answer is for you. Um, but, but it, but as the longer it, is drawn out the, the more stressful it is it's it's just kind of a kind of that thing that's hanging over you for for a long time and um you know a longer path to get to the light at the end of the tunnel i guess i would say so marianne thank you for um sharing um so marianne owns special family transitions she can help you on your journey she's got a lot of knowledge and um her contact information is going to be here um, and on another slide as well, so you can reach out to Marianne uh, directly and learn more about her services and how she might be a, a great member of your team as, as you're kind of going down this, this journey. Uh, thank you, Marianne, for sharing what you have. I appreciate it. And, we're, and, we're, and I'm glad that you're doing what you're doing. There's, there's not very many people that do what Marianne does. Um, and so or right, that has the background that she has with, with special needs. So I, for one, am really, really happy to be able to partner with you. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. All right. So we, Mike, you are up. So we're going to get into the weeds a little bit on, on, on Texas. So anybody that is here from outside of Texas, Mike is predominantly talking about laws in the state of Texas as it relates to uh, divorce. So um, Mike, tell us, tell us, tell us about this. Sure, of course. Um, I, let me start off, though, on on coming back to something y'all were just mentioning, which is, you know, you don't want the divorce to last for three years. That sounds overwhelming. Uh, that is absolutely true. The one thing that you also want to be careful not to do is rush through it, because, like, for example, in Texas, everything can be done within, you know, once the divorce petition has been on file for 60 days, you know, absent some pretty extraordinary circumstances, um, that's that's the shortest time that you have to wait before you can get a divorce. And so sometimes people will come and say, look, we've exchanged spreadsheets. We already know what everything's worth. We're ready to get the deal done. And the only thing that I'll say about that is that, and I've seen this happen a couple of times recently, is that the, there's a lot of financial knowledge that's already been um, distributed. However, someone was not emotionally ready to really conclude the matter. And so there was still a lot of unprocessed anger. And that meant that settlement negotiations were pretty much a waste of time. And so that's something else to be mindful of is sometimes you want to kick the can down the road a little bit because you want people to be in a situation where they, they've processed their emotions. And, you know, and unfortunately, both sides... Well, certainly, ideally, both sides do that some, right? Because 90% of cases settle. Um, that does not mean, though, that there's not some heartache along the way. And that does not mean that once the 60 days has elapsed, people are ready to settle. P 
people are ready to get to that 90% threshold. Because if, guess what, you may be there, but the person in the other room with their lawyer at mediation, if they're not there, then you're, you're going to have some, some wasted time. Or maybe, maybe waste is the harsh term, but time that you could have spent that time more constructively doing something else. Let me, let me put it that way. But uh, let's, let's talk about the slides here. And a lot of this dovetails on what Marianne has said. So we'll try and kind of get through it at, at a quick pace. But yes, you know, self-care is essential. And somebody like Marianne is wonderful. Um, I would say, you know, therapists have a role. Marianne's not a therapist, right? She's a divorce coach. So she's not there necessarily to build the therapeutic alliance. She's there to, you know, to, to borrow a, an expression that's become more popular, get stuff done, right? She's helping you be the best version of a client that you can be because that is the thing about going through this process in particular if it's being litigated is that whatever trauma happened during the marriage that resulted in where you are um that trauma necessarily is going to have to be revisited some right because you're going to have the lawyer on the other side might ask you questions in a deposition or at a hearing or maybe they'll do these things called interrogatories, which is a fancy way of saying, I'm asking you questions that you have to answer, right? You are going to have to relive that trauma. And a cortisol brain is very real and it's going to be, it's going to cause some heartache. And that is, it's unfortunate, but it's, there's not a whole lot that can be done about that. And so that's why you want to be in a situation to take care of yourself. We've talked about getting an interdisciplinary team. I think a, a divorce coach is excellent. I think you must have an estate planning attorney that is knowledgeable about special needs issues. And I would say that a financial advisor is, is essential as well because your lawyer is not a, they might know a lot, a little bit about a lot of things, but they're not there to tell you how to structure your portfolio. They're not there to make sure that your trust is drafted correctly. That's not the purpose of a family law attorney. And if the family law attorney is telling you that they can do all of those things together, mm, be careful. Run, run. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think the key thing on this slide is special needs, special needs, special needs. And that's the thing, and, and we hit on that earlier, your situation is specialized, work with specialists that are nuanced and special needs, whether it's the attorney, the financial advisor, the divorce coach, the medical team, um, you know, like in Houston, um, Baylor, um, Baylor has a, a transition, a really, really good uh, medical team, transition team for, for special needs. So you want, to, you don't want to work it with a generalist in this situation because your, your, your situation is not a generalized situation. And that, I think that's the key that we want to drive home. And so super important. And it's honestly, it's really super important whether you're going through a divorce or not. So whether you're working with a special needs planning attorney for your special needs trust or your guardianship or those other types of documents, um, you know, or an, an advisor, for instance, um, people like us, there are 250,000 financial advisors in the U.S. and 125, 150, not thousand total in the U.S. are nuanced and special needs. Okay. And so that means the bulk of the financial advisors all across the United States have no background at all of having money in the right buckets are advising you accordingly so that way to maintain the eligibility for your for your child for state and federally funded programs and those types of things. And that can be a big deal um, in the end. So that's why we talk about that. 
All right. So let's talk about a, an adult disabled child, Mike. Yeah. So this is the statutory definition that is what you have to meet in order to be an adult disabled child. And that, that we're talking about having child support paid after 18 graduating from high school. We're talking about possession and access issues after a child's turned 18. So the child, whether institutionalized or not, requires substantial care and personal supervision because of a mental or physical disability and will not be capable of self-support. And the disability exists or the cause of the disability is known to exist on or before the 18th birthday of the child. So a lot of times people want to get these findings before the child turns 18 because of collateral consequences for governmental benefits. Um, each situation is different. I don't know that Texas law necessarily requires the finding before the child turns 18, but there could be collateral consequences if you don't get the finding before 18, if that makes sense. So, Mike, I just have a question because I bet that there's some people on here that may already be divorced or they think that their settlement wasn't great or whatever they what they ever had set up wasn't great. So what if um, I am already divorced and um, I didn't get child support extended post age 18 because I hired a generalist attorney and he didn't know to pursue that? Um, do I have any back? ground to be able to go back or how does that work just just in case there's anybody on here that's in that situation i will give you a, a typical lawyer answer <laughs> it depends right each okay. each situation is different i will say that um i would not say that all hope is lost i wouldn't say that at all but because each case is different you you, you know you you and in each court is different, right? Like, you know, sometimes judges will have different opinions about things. And there's a lot in the family code and in family law in general, as it relates to children with special needs, that it's unsettled. It, it's unsettled, right? Um, Justice Eva Guzman, uh, who was very, you know, she was one of the few former family court trial judges that had served on the Texas Supreme Court. There have basically only been two in the last... 30, 40 years. Um, and she was one of them. And she wrote a very interesting, um, it's not, it wasn't quite an opinion because the Supreme Court didn't take up the case. But basically what she said is that this statute is very nuanced and there are a lot of gray areas. And that involved an adult disabled child who was going to college, right? And the father was like, I don't want to have to pay child support anymore. This kid's going to college. And um, is ostensibly living in a dorm room. And why should I have to pay child support for a situation like that? And so that he didn't prevail at trial, uh, the Intermediate Court of Appeals in Corpus Christi affirmed the trial court. And then that's when Eva Guzman kind of wrote her analysis saying, we're not gonna take this case, we're not gonna overturn this case, but this area of the law is very nuanced. I'll, hopefully that answered your question, Allison. Thank you. Um, and sometimes you, you won't know if the child's going to be able to meet that statute, right? It's too soon to tell. Um, and so that can, it can still be a factor for above guideline child support, though, right? And that's still something. Um, cutting edge issues, Quadros and Secure Act. So Secure Act is federal law. And it said for the first time that you can use retirement to fund a special needs trust. Um, 
Yeah. So, and that's, and I won't speak a whole lot about this, just to say that this, the Secure Act is brand new, got passed in 2021, I want to say. So, the uh, special needs estate planning bar is still kind of figuring out what it means, what it lets people do and not do. So you could talk to a couple of different lawyers that are really good lawyers and get different answers. That, and that's not because one of those lawyers doesn't know what they're doing. It's because this is brand new federal law. And um, I mean, the last time I looked at this was a month ago, but I am unaware of any state appellate opinions that have addressed the interrelationship between the SECURE Act and the Adult Disabled Child Support Statute. I think what they've said ever since the SECURE Act um, has come out is it's been mostly gray. It's not as, as clear or clear as mud. You know, no. there's there's a lot of language in there that it says one thing and then the other part says this or it kind of just leaves you hanging on, okay, so what does that mean? And it's kind of left to interpretation. So if you have 10 attorneys that are nuanced and special needs, they all interpret it a little bit different. So I definitely, we've been seeing that as well. Hopefully there'll be some clarifications on that um, soon. Well, I, the one thing I want to add to that is that the uh, Texas legislature recently changed the child support statute to allow quadros to support a judgment for past due child support. So if you're in one of those situations where maybe you had child support obligation past 18, um, maybe it's going into a trust, maybe it's not, but you're not sure how you can really collect that money, you can now get a 401k to collect, you can garnish retirement, which um, a lot of people thought you could do under ERISA. There's a case called Dalton that came out in 2018 that kind of called that into question or basically prevented you from doing that um, in a manner of speaking. And so the legislature fixed that glitch in the last legislative session. And that is better for people that are owed a considerable amount of money, because usually when you're owed a considerable amount of money and you go back into the court and you get a judgment, they still it's still piecemeal paid back. It's not usually a lump sum paid back. It's, you know, over a period of months or years. So this would be an easier way to go about and get a lump sum payback um, from, from the retirement account. Okay, so determining, um, we got about 10 minutes left. Uh, let's talk about um, determining child support and how, that, how, how the state looks at that. Okay, so let's go to the next slide and that will tell us the factors. Um, and part of it depends on whether or not you are, well, so this is what is, this is, so there are two, there are, are basically two general ways of looking at child support for an adult disabled child. The first thing that you have to look at is the specific statute. So the, this, is, this is the statutory criterion from the specific statute. And you guys can, can read that yourselves, but um, that, that is what you're looking at. So, and what's really important about this is any existing or future needs, right? And so that's the importance of getting a potential life care plan in, involved, right? Because it's almost like a personal injury case in the respect that you are showing your damages model, right? I mean, uh, you're showing what, the, what, what money should be paid to take care of stuff in the future. And sometimes that is extremely expensive, right? And, um, and, that's just something to be mindful of. And that's not something that all lawyers know about, I would say. And then the other thing is, is that you cannot just look to the adult disabled child statute, but you also have to look to the general provisions for children uh, who are not with special needs, okay? And so, and basically, if you, 
if the obligor is making above a certain threshold, which gets adjusted every so often, but it's effectively around $9,200 a month after taxes. Um, if they're making more than that, then what you look at is the pro proven needs of the child and you look at the two income streams from both parents, right? If the, if the child support obligor, the, the party that's paying child support makes below that threshold, well, then you look at like 20 different factors, but the long and the short of it is those 20 factors basically speak to the needs of the child. Cause that's the thing about child support. It is not about lifestyle. It's not about the lifestyle of the parent and it's not about the lifestyle of the child. It's about the needs of the child. So Mike, there's a such thing as um, Marianne um, put in the chat box for me um, of above guideline child support for uh, an individual with a disability. And this is where in my experience, attorneys that are not nuanced in special needs divorce, they mess this up. Um, so talk to us about above guideline child support in, in that case of, of an individual with a disability. Well, so if the child has a disability, right, you look at these factors that we just went through. But if the, if the obligor... Well, you have to look to see how much the obligor makes, right? Because if the obligor makes above the cap, right, if they max out, um, then you have to look at the, the child's proven needs, right? So if you can figure out that the child's proven needs are, say, $4,000 a month, I'm just kind of pulling a number out, right? Then you look to both parents' resources, right, to get to how you're going to pay for that $4,000. And chances are the obligor is going to have to pay for all of it although that doesn't have to happen, right? And there have been some interesting cases that have um, made, recently made the non-primary parent pay child support to, excuse me, made the primary parent pay child support to the non-primary parent, for example. There have been a couple of appellate cases that have come out in the last four years that have said that. And so, but really what you're looking at is the child's proven needs, then you're looking at the resources of both parents and how do you get to that four or $5,000, whatever the case may be. If the obligor makes below that threshold, then you look to those 20 factors. But again, long and the short of it is you're really looking at what the child needs. Um, great example for this it would be private school tuition, right? Is that parent could say, well, my child's always gone to private school, so I, I want that tuition paid as a form of child support. Well, if that, if there's not a need for private school, then then you're not going to get that as child support. But there have been one or two cases where if you can really litigate that the child needs that private school, right? And, and the one case I'm thinking of was a child who um, was not a child with special needs, but certainly the rationale would apply, right? Is that you have to look to the needs of the child, right? And the statute specifically says existing or future needs. So if you have a child who's say 12 or 13, and they're on the spectrum and they need to go to a certain type of private school and that's what something that they need to do then that that gives you the opportunity to present the court with that does, did i answer your question allison and i know we were running short on time and sure sure um, and possession and access of the child again you know we're talking about you know who gets to spend time with the child after the child is 18. it's as simple as that you know and Okay, so we've kind of gone through how um, the amount of support is determined, right? So we've, we've kind of 
I have, a, have... I have a question, though, that yeah. I'd like to ask. Um, if the primary conservator is paying child support to the non-primary conservator prior to the child turning 18, will they have to continue after 18, even if they provide the majority of the care? No. In fact, I'm unaware of a special needs case where the primary had to pay to the non-primary, right? Those cases, those those cases did not involve children with primary. Those those cases did not involve children with special needs. Excuse me. Got but, it. Um, the, I just want to make that clear. But again, each case is different, um, and courts do consider, or are certainly are supposed to consider, when the you know the the impact of a parent providing care for the child with special needs. So this dispute over whether a disability exists, yes, we've definitely heard of this where one parent is saying that the child isn't really disabled or isn't that disabled or something along those lines. So how, how do they mitigate that if that's something that they're faced with or, or how, how, do, how do we overcome that? Well, if it's a close call, what I advise clients to do is look into getting an expert that will testify. And that is, can be difficult because that doesn't happen very often, okay? And there are lots of reasons for that. But in effect, what you need is you need an expert who is knowledgeable about the child's underlying medical issues. I would be reluctant to get the, the treater of the child to offer an opinion. There's an argument to be made that a treater could offer that opinion. And frankly, it kind of deals with, it, it kind of hinges on, uh, that medical provider's underlying discipline, right? Because like a, a treating psychologist is going to be especially reluctant to do that. Um, but if you have somebody else who um, is not a psychologist, maybe maybe they're a doctor, right? Um, it just kind of all depends. And this is interesting because I, I a, a little while ago, I was having lunch with a, a friend of mine who's a very prominent personal injury lawyer. And he had just kind of litigated a personal injury case involving a child with special needs. And we were talking about like, you know, in his world, the child, the, 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 the treater of the child or the treater of the plaintiff, that's the gold standard, right? But for reasons that are probably beyond the scope of today's presentation, uh, treaters are reluctant to get involved in family court litigation, right? And so a lot of times you kind of, you're probably well served to get somebody who's not the treater like too. who like a not like a nanny like a teacher or just give us some other examples if you're saying I, I, would, yeah, I would try to get an, a medical professional who's offering what's okay. what the law calls a forensic opinion got it okay okay um this is really where consulting can kind of help if you've already gotten your lawyer in fact you've already gotten a settlement right maybe um because there are some times where you kind of default sort of generic provisions um, really what it comes down to is you know in particular if the child needs a special diet right and then you know that's not going to be considered a medical expense a lot of the times under the standard language and so there's that um, and then the other thing is with respect to the duty to use a preferred provider within network because sometimes children with special needs need medical providers that are not necessarily in the preferred provider network. And so there's, there's that consideration from a drafting perspective as well. 
Okay, so Mike, the bottom line is, is you're in the greater Houston area. Your background is uh, family law with a specialty in special needs. So um, are you available? So let's just say the people on here, they've already hired an attorney, um, but they want um, someone like you to consult their attorney on the special needs matters, such as, you know, the the higher amount of child support or child support going to a first party special needs trust or extended post age 18, all of these few matters that we've talked about. Um, uh, are you, you're available to consult with their attorney. You're also available to be hired as a divorce attorney should somebody want to hire you. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct, Allison. Okay, perfect. So you guys can reach out to Mike directly. Again, you guys are going to get a copy of uh, today's slides. Marianne's contact information as far as a coach. Marianne's got a lot of referrals uh, and she's um, kind of learned a lot. Like, you know, Mike was talking about some of these expert witnesses, other things, um, you know, people that will come in. We get asked all the time. We, as a firm, we are way, 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 way too busy to be going into court. So we, we, we choose not to do that at this time. Um, too many rescheduled court dates and things like that going on for us. So, um, but Marianne does have a whole handful of professionals that she knows are great expert witnesses and things like that. So she's a great person to reach out to as it relates to that. Um, guys, we have webinars all the time, every week. Our webinars are actually usually from 12 to 1 um, during the week. Um, all of our webinars are surrounding special needs topics. So, you know, we kind of danced around special needs trust. There's a such thing as a first party and a third party special needs trust. Those are going to be important tools um, for you on your journey. And so um, I invite you to um, join our upcoming webinars. We also have a Consolidated Planning Group YouTube channel. All of our webinars in the past live on that YouTube channel. You can subscribe for free and you can kind of peruse the ones that might be um, for you on kind of where you're at and um, you know, where you're going right now. But um, in this slide, you'll have a list of all of the upcoming um, webinars that we, we've got coming up. And um, this is just kind of a list. We have these in all of our webinars of things that should be on your special needs planning radar. And given the topic that we're having right now, you're probably thinking, oh my gosh, all I can do is think about what, I, what we're talking about right now. But there's a lot of things that do need to be on your radar. So when you're planning and you're thinking, you're investigating, um, keep these kind of in the back of your mind is probably more than what you can do to have them in the front of your mind right now, but just keep these out there. Um, we, we work on a collaborative team at Consolidated Planning Group. We're always happy uh, to meet with you. We offer free personalized consultations. So a lot of times on webinars like this, people don't want to air their dirty laundry and that's okay. Um, but we are happy um, definitely to consult with you. Uh, talk to you kind of about the plan and um, and where you need to be. We can help you with those future care cost estimates, social security analysis, and of course we can make referrals for the other attorneys across the state, wherever you are in the state, uh, that are specifically nuanced and special needs when it comes to those special needs trust and guardianship conversations as well. Um, so guys, I think we are out of time for today. I got 12:01. Cat. Uh, with the Down Syndrome Association, as usual, it is wonderful uh, to partner with you and your organization. Again, we had such a fun time. They just had their buddy walk uh, at Constellation Field about a month ago, and it was really, really fun. You guys did a great job putting that on. So um, thanks, everyone, for being here um, and spending an hour with us on your on your Saturday. We hope you have a great weekend. And just remember, I just want to say again, because I know I'm, I myself and I know Marianne did too, 
um, you are going to get through this. It does seem bad and it seems horrible and sometimes suffocating um, even, but there is light at the end of the tunnel. You are going to get through this. Treat this like a like a business, like like Marianne said, and it'll go a little bit smoother. But I just wanted to give you another encouraging word to say that it does get better. So just just know that for sure. So thanks, everyone. Take care. Securities and advisory services offered through Triad Advisors, member. FINRA and SIPC, Consolidated Planning Group Incorporated and Triad Advisors LLC are not affiliated. Advisory services offered through Consolidated Planning Group Incorporated. Consolidated Planning Group Incorporated is not affiliated with Triad Advisors.